Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector podcast. John Ruskin, who lived between 1819 and 1900, is a famous and distinguished figure in many fields. In this Book Collector podcast, Lavinia Sidgwick reads James Dearden's article on Ruskin that was published in the Book Collector's issue for summer 1972. An account of the library of John Ruskin is perhaps a little out of place in a series called Portrait of a Bibliophile. The savage physical attacks which Ruskin, or his secretaries, made on many of the books in his library show that he hardly qualifies for the description of a book lover. W.G. Collingwood has tried to justify it by quoting Ruskin as saying that his books were for use and not for curiosities. But the true bibliophile shudders when he sees Ruskin's copies, now at Bembridge, of a Chaucer of 1843, Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons, 1836, or Bussey and Gaspie's History of France, 1850, with their heads and tails sawn off, the teeth marks are still visible, so that they would fit into their appointed shelves. More valuable books received the same treatment. The four volumes of Lenormand and de Witt's Elite des Monuments Ceramographiques, 1844, have an inch or two trimmed off the foredge of the text pages so that he could more readily find the plates. Westwood's Miniatures and Ornaments of Anglo-Saxon and Irish Manuscripts, 1868, has been topped and tailed and all the plates are loose. Even his most prized manuscripts were not safe. His Hours of Yolande of Navarre, circa 1353, was broken up and at least 37 leaves were lent or given away. The bulk of the manuscript subsequently passed through the Yates-Thompson collection to the British Museum, but 13 leaves are in the Bodleian. Ruskin's earliest reading, he tells us in Praetorita, was composed of Dame Wiggins of Lee, The Peacock at Home, Maria Edgeworth and Joyce's Scientific Dialogues. By the age of seven, he had begun to write his own little books, drafting the fair copies in imitation of book print. A little later, he had Scott's novels, and Pope's translation of the Iliad, for weekday reading, and Robinson Crusoe and Pilgrim's Progress for Sunday. His mother also read the Bible aloud to him, from Genesis to the Apocalypse, about once a year. The copy which she used is now in the Coniston Museum. The Iliad, 1824, inscribed by his father with Ruskin's name, and several more of his earliest books, are in the collection of Dr. H. G. Viljon of New York. One of the first books to have a serious influence on Ruskin's life, because of the turn of vignettes which it contains, was Samuel Rogers' Italy, 1830, given to him by his father's business partner as a 13th birthday present in 1832. Later, he had another copy of the first edition, inscribed 
to Juno Ruskin Esquire from his sincere friend, the author. For his 15th birthday present, Ruskin chose Saucer's Voyage dans les Alpes, 1803, eight volumes. This was a book to which he constantly referred and almost always kept to hand throughout his working life. These were the books which laid the foundations of Ruskin's library. As a writer and teacher, books were the tools of Ruskin's profession, and he continued to add to his library throughout his life. But, as Collingwood indicated, he did not collect specifically for the sake of collecting. He bought books because he needed, or was interested in, their texts. Thus, the majority of his books were ordinary late 18th or 19th century editions bought for use. Even after Ruskin's active life ended in the summer of 1889, his library continued to grow as presentation copies from friends and admirers flowed in to Brantwood. Cock and Wedderburn, editors of the library edition, have estimated that Ruskin's library at no time exceeded 4,000 volumes. However, he was buying, using and selling or giving away books all the time. So very many more than 4,000 passed through his collection over the years. He gave away many books to his friends or pupils. Equally, many institutions in which he took an interest benefited from his gifts. In 1887, for example, he gave some three dozen volumes, including Camden, Britannica 1721, Dugdale, Monasticum Anglicanum, 1718, three volumes, Réouard, Poésie des Troubadours, 1816-21, six volumes, a manuscript, 11th to the 12th century, Greek Gospels, and a manuscript, Breviary Arras, circa 1280, to Cheltenham Ladies' College. After he established his Guild of St George Museum in 1875, he was constantly building up its library, either by gifts from his own or by special purchase for it. When the backlog of his unwanted books became too great in 1880, he disposed of a quantity in some 25 lots at Puttick and Simpson's. As a result of the constant state of flux in which his library found itself, and in view of the fact that it was never either completely or adequately catalogued, it is difficult to determine exactly what he did own. In various notebooks, for example, he made three different lists of his illuminated manuscripts. The longest lists only 24 manuscripts, while we know that at least 88 pass through his collection. The vague entries on the lists render them, to a large extent, valueless in identifying specific manuscripts. What can one make of entries such as Delicate small horai of 15th century. Imperfect 13th century psalter of rude work. Greek gospels, 9th century. Or Italian best. Equally, the catalogues of his library generally are incomplete in that they only list parts of his collection. The earliest catalogue which I know is in a volume at Yale, 
This was prepared by Ruskin between January and March 1873 and lists only 795 volumes, not titles. But it apparently did not list the books on open shelves in his study and certainly did not include books elsewhere in the house or in his rooms at Oxford. About 1883, a few more notes were added to the catalogue to show where some books were in another room. Turn the volume round, and another, partly duplicating, catalogue begins at the other end. At about the same time Ruskin began another catalogue, but it is very incomplete, and the information which it does contain is very sketchy. Another catalogue, again only of the books behind glass in the study, was prepared between 1890 and 1894 by Ruskin's secretary, Sarah Anderson. This catalogue is in two volumes. One lists the books alphabetically, the other geographically by bookcases. Further information is available from passing references in his various books, and in brief accounts left by visitors to Brantwood. Most of Ruskin's buying in the 1870s and 1880s was done through F.S. Ellis or Bernard Quaritch. His published correspondence with these booksellers provide further information. There are few accounts of his books in Ruskin's London homes or his rooms at Oxford, but we do know much more about their distribution in his home at Brantwood on the shores of Coniston Lake in Lancashire. And since September of this year sees their 100th anniversary of his going to live at Brantwood, I should like to describe his Brantwood library in more detail. There, his principal collection was kept in a series of glazed bookshelves in his study. But books overflowed into every other room in the house. In his bedroom, he kept sets of Scott, Shakespeare, Byron, Carlyle, some French novels and other light reading. The drawing room contained, Cockerell tells us, Punch from the beginning, Encyclopaedia Britannica, Dickens' first edition, Pope, Grote's history, Pinkerton's voyages, Couches, British fishes, books by G. MacDonald, Froude, Patmore, Hood, etc., after the new dining room was built, about 1879, its predecessor became a secondary library and storeroom for books not immediately required, for pictures, artist materials, letters, manuscripts, and no doubt much else besides. The study at Brantwood has two windows overlooking the lake. This can be seen... In Collingwood's 1881-2 portrait, which is now in the Coniston Museum, Ruskin is writing at his winter table in the bow window near the fireplace. Immediately behind him is the botany bookcase. With true Ruskinian disregard for precision, this does not mean that all botany was in this case. Nor yet does it mean that the case only contained botany. Rather was it the bookcase called Botany. This section of his collection was one of the strongest. 
including such sets as Sowerby's English Botany, 1790 to 1814, 37 volumes, Baxter's Island Plants, 6 volumes, Curtis's Botanical Magazine, 1787 to 1821, 48 volumes, Florae Danicae, 19 volumes, Lecoq's Geographie Botanique, 9 volumes, Parkinson's Theatrum Botanicum, 1640, and Curtis's Flora Londinensis, 1817-28, with some 500 plates. The geology bookcase stands to the left of Botany, containing, in the 1890 catalogue, more illuminated manuscripts than geology. On the end south wall of the room, not visible in Collingwood's painting, but which can be seen in Emily Warren's watercolour of Ruskin's summer desk, was the mineral cabinet. The cupboards and drawers below contained part of Ruskin's important mineralogical collection, while the shelves above held a miscellaneous collection of books. Salmon's Herbal, 1710, Holbein's Dance of Death, 1538, two copies. Tusser's Husbandry, 1672. Sir Philip Sidney's Arcadia, 1655. Herrick's Hesperides, 1648. Blackstone's Laws of England, 1821. A selection of Edgeworth, Greek and Latin classics, books on coins and many of Ruskin's own diaries and notebooks. In one of Ruskin's own descriptions of his study, he called this his chief bookcase. The bookcase on the wall facing the window, unfortunately only partially visible in one drawing of the study, seems to have been similar in design to its neighbour, but was perhaps the largest case in the room. Judging by the various catalogues, it housed as mixed a collection as the mineral cabinet. In the open shelves to the right of the fireplace, on the north wall, can be recognised on the second shelf Napier's History of the War in the Peninsula, 1832, six volumes with white spines, Simone's Histoire de la République Italienne, 1838, three volumes in the centre of the third shelf, on the fourth shelf, Gibbon's Decline and Fall, 1838, 12 volumes. Lindsay's Christian Art, 1847, 3 volumes. And J.R. Green's The Making of England, 1881. On the next but one shelf may be seen Bussy and Gatsby's History of France, 1850. Both volumes cut down to fit here at the end of the shelf, as already mentioned and the three volumes of Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons, 1836, with their white labels. The shelves on the other side of the fireplace held books on chess, Baedeckers, miscellaneous works of reference, maps, and recent acquisitions awaiting permanent homes. One might reasonably expect an author's library to contain copies of all his own books, but Ruskin was an unsystematic collector, and Cook and Wedderburn tells us that his collection of his own works was very small and imperfect. 
What he had seems to have been mainly used for reference. Of some titles he had no copies, of others several. For example, there are his own sets of Fours Clavigera in the Bodleian at Bembridge and in my own collection. There were a few interesting association copies in the Ruskin Library, including a copy of Linnaeus' Systema Naturae, which had formerly belonged to the great Cumbrian botanist John Ray. Ruskin also had a copy of the 1758 10th edition of the same book, which had belonged to the poet Thomas Gray. The study of natural history was one of Gray's favourite hobbies during the last ten years of his life, and his copy of Linnaeus was interleaved and both printed and blank pages alike were almost completely filled with his own detailed notes and sketches of birds, insects, mollusks and testacea. In his diary for the 14th of November 1874, Ruskin noted that he'd seen Gray's Linnaeus when he visited Ellis to pay for his Scott manuscript, and he duly added a footnote to the then unpublished introduction of Proserpina that he had added it to his library. After his death, it was given by Joan Seven to Ruskin's American friend Charles Eliot Norton. In 1903, Norton's selections and facsimiles from the Linnaeus were printed at the Merrymount Press and published by Charles Goodspeed as the poet Gray as a naturalist. Other association copies included Antonio Mantelli's Dialogo, inscribed Michelangelo Buonarroti, and a Dialogue of Sir Thomas More, Knight, 1530, with the autograph Francis Bacon's book. The library, of course, included many books by Roskin's contemporaries, inscribed by them to him. There were C.L. Dodgson's Rhyme and Reason, 1883, with the sincere regards of the author. And the same authors, Sylvie and Bruno Concluded, 1893, with the author's affectionate regards. Morris's Earthly Paradise, 1871, from his friend, the author, and the 1892 Kelmscott Press, Nature of Gothic, to John Ruskin, from William Morris, with affectionate regards. There was also an important collection of author-inscribed and decorated Kate Greenaway books. Bindings in the Ruskin Library generally seem to have been undistinguished. The largest number of books were in their publisher's bindings. Many of his manuscripts were in early bindings, others in velvet. Other velvet bindings included the copy of Italy, given by Rogers to Ruskin, and a copy of a Mahazur, printed in Hebrew in Venice in 1710, and bound in purple velvet with gilt metal edges and clasps in a purple silk-lined leather box. Ruskin's copy of Gregorius Magnus, Dialogi 1478, is in a near-contemporary vellum blind-stamped binding. He had a copy of his own unto this last, given to him in 1886, 
by the binder T.J. Cobden Sanderson. Cobden Sanderson also bound a copy for his daughter in exactly similar style and inscribed it, Being one of the noblest books I know, I covered it with such glory as I could of roses and of stars and set your name in the midst. Another Cobden Sanderson binding of limp vellum gilt in a straight-grained red Morocco box clothed the illuminated address written and decorated by Albert Pilly and presented to Ruskin on his 80th birthday in 1899. Ruskin first began to take an interest in illuminated manuscripts in the mid-1840s. He seemed to have bought his first manuscript, a small French book of hours, circa 1300, which is now in the Victorian Albert Museum, about 1850. He continued collecting steadily until 1888, when he bought his final manuscript from Quaritch. This manuscript, described by Quaritch as the grandest existing monument of South German or Swiss art at the beginning of the 15th century, and now in the Stortlicher Museum, Berlin, is a copy of Rudolf von Ehm's World Chronicle, written at Toggenberg in 1411. His collection was never static. He was constantly buying and giving away manuscripts. At least 88 passed through his collection. Many of them were important examples of the art. For example, the Ruskin Hours, circa 1325, Ruskin, Cockrell, Chester, B.T. Coleman Abbey, recently sold for £28,000 to Krauss. The list could continue with the provenance proclaiming the quality. But again, manuscripts were for use or misuse. His 11th-12th Greek Gospel Lectionary, now in the British Museum, is covered with his annotations and rebound to include the role of companions of St George's Guild. At Bembridge is a collage which he made by cutting up at least three finely decorated manuscripts. In later years, Ruskin usually took several of his manuscripts with him whenever he travelled, and often did his daily Bible reading from an early English manuscript. A manuscript Bible, which I have never been able to identify or trace, was bound in five volumes in white vellum. If any reader knows this Bible, I should be very pleased to hear from him. Ruskin seems to have taken little interest in literary manuscripts, except for his collection of Scott, who was one of the family's chief idols. There were several Scott manuscripts in his collection, the Fortunes of Nigel was bought in August 1831 by Ruskin's father from the bookseller Bain for £25. Scott had given the manuscript to Constable in 1823 and Bain bought it in 1831 for 16 guineas. The Black Dwarf, Peveril of the Peak and Woodstock were bought by Ellis at the Tight Sale in 1874 for £78, 150 and 170 And as noted in his diary, 
Ruskin got them on the 31st of October 1874. When the manuscripts of Guy Mannering and St Ronan's Well were sold in 1881, Ruskin wrote to Ellis, I've been speechless with indignation since you let go that Guy Mannering manuscript. However, within a month, Ellis had secured St Ronan's Well for Ruskin. By 1878, Ruskin also had 29 letters from Scott to Robert Johnson dealing mainly with carved stones from the old Edinburgh toll booth, which was then, 1817, being demolished, and which he wanted for Abbotsford. Ruskin was very disappointed in Abbotsford when he first saw it in 1838, but he wrote at length to J.C. Loudon about the toll booth door which he had seen there. In 1888, Ruskin was worried about his finances and he asked Quaritch what he would offer for the Peveril and St. Ronan manuscripts, but nothing came of the proposed sale. In September 1894, J. Pierpoint Morgan bought the Woodstock manuscript, and perhaps at the same time, the Black Dwarf and Peveril manuscripts. Within a month of Ruskin's death, St. Ronan's Well was offered for sale by Brown of Edinburgh, this too was bought via Southern by Morgan. In 1821, Mrs. Seven consulted T.J. Wise about selling the Nigel manuscript. In his reply, Wise bemoaned that the great Victorians such as Scott, Ruskin and Carlyle are out of fashion and collectors treat them with great and undeserved neglect. You are no doubt aware of the fact that the books of our well-loved John Ruskin are not worth a quarter of the prices I paid for my own copies some thirty years ago. He said that he had been unable to get a bid of more than £400 for the manuscript of Nigel. Since the manuscript was sold to Sir Hugh Walpole for this figure, it must have been he with whom Wise was negotiating. In 1938, Walpole gave the manuscript to his old school, Kings at Canterbury. The Abbotsford letters were lot 26 in the 1931 Ruskin Library sale. As far as the printed Scott was concerned, Ruskin had several copies of most titles. Many of them were first editions, bought by his father as they were published. Then Ruskin had a set for the drawing room, and another set, probably the 1865-8, Waverley novels in 48 volumes, now at Bembridge in his bedroom. His Lockhart's Memoirs of Sir Walter Scott, 1869, 10 volumes, has Ruskin's own manuscript index at the end of each volume and large numbered paper labels which he has pasted to the spines. There were comparatively few early printed books in the library, Those that were there were present usually for their text rather than for their age or standing with collectors. He had several 19th century copies of Carey's Dante. But he also had a folio, Divina Commedia, printed in Venice by P. de Piazzis in 1481 and an Aldous edition of 1511. 
There were three copies of Aldus's Hypnerotomachia polyphili, one copy of the 1499 edition, prized for its woodcuts and initials, and two copies of the 1545 edition. Printed horae were represented by a 1507 Simon Vostri, finely painted and illuminated, and another printed about 1520 at Rouen by Pierre Olivier. I have already mentioned his 1478 Augsburg Gregorius. There was also another copy of the Dialogi printed at Lyon in 1516. His Hygienus Poetica Astronomica, Venice 1485, with its contemporary colouring of the woodcuts, was bought from Quaritch in 1886 because he wanted nice old figures of constellations. The earliest incunabula in the collection seems to have been L. Aretino, Historia Florentina, and Poggius Florentius, Historia Florentina, 1476, bound together. Such, then, was John Ruskin's collection, the working library of an author rather than a collector, who bought what he needed and disposed of it when it ceased to be of interest or use to him. Reference has already been made to the books which Ruskin sold at Puttick and Simpson's on the 30th of June to the 1st of July 1880. This was a very mixed bag, including books from his father's as well as his own library. Ruskin inscribed most volumes with his reasons for disposing of them, and these comments no doubt added somewhat to the prices they brought. They included Bunsen's Egypt's Place in Universal History, 1848, thrown out with other rubbish. Polybi, Historia Recens, 1823, old school book not open these 30 years. Athenius, Dipnosophistae cum animadversionibus, 1801-9, 15 volumes, thrown out for want of room, never a word read. Voragine, Legendario di Sancti Vulgari Historiado, 1503, bound with Vita di Sancti Padre, 1497, thrown out, life being too short now for legends. On Ruskin's death at Brantwood in January 1900, the house and its contents were inherited by Mr and Mrs Arthur Savin, who disposed of many of the more valuable items in the library during the course of the next few years. Within a matter of two or three years of Ruskin's death, some half-dozen of the more important illuminated manuscripts had changed hands. Mrs. Seven died in 1924, her husband in 1931. The contents of the house were dispersed through a series of sales. A sale of books and manuscripts including many of Ruskin's own letters, literary manuscripts and notebooks, was held at Sotheby's on the 24th of July, 1930. The highest price for a printed book was £350, paid by Mags for Lot 109, E. Young, The Complaint and the Consolation, 1797. The engravings by Blake, all coloured by the artist himself. A second sale at Sotheby's of the final portion of the manuscripts and library of John Ruskin, 137 lots, was held on the 18th of May 1931. 
These sales were followed on 15th and 16th of July by the sale of the contents of Arthur Seven's London house in Warwick Square. Many of Ruskin's books had found their way there, and the sale included some 120 lots of books. Finally, the remaining contents of Brantwood were sold at the house on the 28th, 30th and 31st of July. This sale included 118 lots of books, several of the lots containing between 40 and 60 volumes each. Additionally, many uncatalogued lots of books and manuscripts were included in this sale. Books from the collection are now widely scattered. The largest collections are those made by J. Howard Whitehouse and now at the Ruskin Gallery's Bembridge School, Isle of Wight, comprising some 430 volumes, and by F. J. Sharp, now divided between Brantwood, about 100 volumes, and Dr. Virjon. May I please, in concluding this account of Ruskin's library, ask any reader who may have books from it to let me have details for inclusion in my catalogue. Postscript. Since this article went to press, the Ruskin galleries at Bembridge have received the bequest of the late Haddon C. Adams' Ruskin collection. This bequest includes 185 volumes from the Brantwood Library, thus placing Mr Adams with Whitehouse and Sharp as the leading Brantwood Library collectors. The bequest is strong in geology and poetry and includes a copy of Wordsworth's Yarrow Revisited, 1835, inscribed by the poet's sister. Also present are The Earthly Paradise, mentioned previously, more Dante and Scott, and second sets of Lockhart and Lane's Thousand and One Nights. That was Lavinia Sidgwick reading John Ruskin, Portrait of a Bibliophile by James Dearden. If you enjoyed this Book Collector podcast, you can find many more on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or via our website. The Book Collector is a literary journal founded by Ian Fleming in 1952, covering the writing and collecting of books. You can subscribe to our journal at thebookcollector.co.uk for as little as £6 per month and get access to our complete digital archive. Finally, if you would like to sponsor one of our future podcasts, do please get in touch at editor at thebookcollector.co.uk. Thank you.